welcome to an episode of Cine Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And here on Cine Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories in them. Today, Thomas is not with me, but I do have David Glenn IV returning, my roommate here, to talk about today's movie. David, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. We have people below us playing music. We have a, a lawnmower outside. It's going to be great for sound later. <laughs> yeah, but, good uh, luck. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, so yeah, so this month, this long month that we're doing for the summer of June, uh, we're talking about the Western genre, and we're kind of defining, going through all the different subgenres of Westerns. The thing is, the Western has a lot of different variations of it, and we're not even covering all of them this month. Um, but we've talked about the traditional Western, we talked about Stagecoach, we talked about kind of the beginnings of the revisionist Western with Wild Bunch last week, and we've tried to kind of talk about how... The Western has really been around since the beginning of cinema with uh, the Great Train Robbery, um, and it's evolved over time and how there's always kind of a period when people think the Western is dead and something occurs that makes it um, relevant again. It's like with Stagecoach, we talked about how the Stagecoach at that point, Westerns had fallen out of favor and they're mostly B-movies and were very cheap and they weren't prestige. And then Stagecoach came in and redefined the genre, kind of defined the genre in a way by establishing kind of the tropes and the characters and essentially creating John Wayne. And then for 30 years, that was kind of the norm. And it changed with the revisionist Westerns with the Wild Bunch and the Peck and Paws movies or even McCabe and Mrs. Moore in the 70s. And we'll talk later about Jeremiah Johnson. But it became it began to evolve and it happens even of late where movies were Western, I think 10 years ago, there's some the Westerns dead. We're never going to see any more of it. And then we had the power of the dog or whatever. I I feel like we get at least one or two a year. Every, yeah. I think it's now, as I said, uh, last week, I believe was that a lot of directors like tackling this genre and creating their own version of it. And and it's also true. Like at least for America, that's like our one myth that we have, like the myth of the American West. Yeah. And there's always like, there's the romanticism of that myth. There's also the kind of, um, takedown of that myth sure. and that's what we'll talk about today a little bit when we're talking about spaghetti westerns because spaghetti westerns was a direct reaction or answer to what was happening in america with the westerns is that in, in europe the idea of the good guy bad guy john wayne uh, like always wearing the white hat or whatever those were falling out of favor over there but in america it, it somewhat was but it was still a big part. I think Westerns were tackling, te- were taking up a lot of the television uh, channels at that point with things like Rawhide or whatever, which Eastwood was a star of, uh, who we're talking about today. But yeah, it's just like we, all these different tropes of with stagecoats, it has like the, the, the drunk doctor or this, but you always kind of have these very clear cut rules in the early traditional Westerns. And the revisionist Westerns kind of made it all very gray. And today, we're talking about the spaghetti westerns and specifically with the good, the bad and the ugly uh, directed by Sergio Leone, which is a direct reference to what's happening in America. And I think also kind of right in the middle or right at the, right at the end of the traditional period, but right before the revisionist thing, revisionist period really comes into play. Yeah. And I, as I said last week, the wild bunch, that wild bunch feels like a direct answer to what's happening with the spaghetti westerns at that point. Um, well, it's always interesting when multiple countries have like similar movements within yeah. filmmaking, you know, yeah. it's like just something's in the ether, you know? Yeah. Something's kind of like out there. And then like, that's the thing is that at certain periods you have the different kind of waves if it's the French new wave or whatever, sure. or if it's, or like new German cinema happening at the same time that new Hollywood's happening. Yeah, here. exactly. Exactly. 
Um, and even at that point too, or I think like in the seventies and the eighties, you had or the seventies, you kind of have the rise of that very brief thing that we t- we talked about several times on the show. Weirdly, is that British period of like the the Scots and Adrian Lyne, those yeah. people kind of coming up. So there's just interesting kind of periods that either flow with one another or they're happening kind of over and again kind of direct similar traits like with this and the revisionist period they're very similar but are happening in really uh and across the pond essentially but also have players that are involved in both with yeah. say clint eastwood is a, it's a prime example um but as i said today we're talking about the good and the bad and the ugly directed by sergio leone uh released or a 1966 film i'll talk, talk about the release dates later um and stars Clint Eastwood, Eli Walk, and Lee Van Cleef. Um, kind of a seminal film in the spaghetti western and also the western genre. Um, and kind of the, the players, a lot of Italian names this this week. Uh, I apologize if you speak Italian. Well, I always love looking at Italian movie posters because they just have the coolest names. They do, yeah. This is a big admission uh, of mine that I had never seen the good, the bad, and the ugly until this week. Um, we all have gaps, people. We all have gaps. Uh, but it's one that I've mean to see for a while. But you had been a fan of it before that. So what's kind of your history like with this film? Yeah. David? So, so I'm pr- I'm pretty positive that I saw it in high school, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh-huh. Um, that being said, I swear I'm going to come on this podcast one time and not mention Tarantino. But I remember <laughs> seeing Django Unchained and that kind of opened me into actively seeking more of these out like i know i I know for a fact i'd seen once upon a time in the west uh in high school before seeing Django. but i after seeing Django, i was like okay i went down this rabbit hole of like okay i gotta seek these movies out you know the movies that influenced him Mm -hmm. and after you know and that's a process that has still continued to this day yeah but yeah so i saw good the bad the ugly somewhere in that in that few year span um and i've seen it countless times since in fact one time i saw it in theaters in lexington kentucky at the Fayette Mall, if anybody's from Kentucky, <laughs> from Lexington, listening to this, and there was like shout five, out Lexington, <laughs> yeah, there's like five people in the auditorium, including me, yeah, and but when it gets to the, the that moment where Tuco hits the cemetery, yeah, um, hits the gravestone in the cemetery, and it starts that whole amazing finale, uh, everybody leaned forward, yeah, it's like I, I like it's just like it, you can just feel that that energy, you know. That just briefly reminded me of like when I saw Lawrence of Arabia, there was like four other people in the theater. Like when I saw, it's just weird to see like these very big cinematic movies. Yeah. And like no one in, in smaller yeah. towns, no, not even smaller towns, but just in like areas that don't really have a big film community. Like you see it there and you have this kind of four or five like yeah. very uh, um, passionate people. And this, uh, this would be great to see in theaters. I've seen um, for a few dollars more in theaters, and that was a great experience and that was like a midnight movie which is a weird oh, wow. movie Interesting. Yeah. and it was in the it was i was it was the secret movie club that did it at the vista and that's like los Feliz area and like that's a drive for that movie like that was i think we got home at like 3 30 in the morning Jeez. it was it was a crazy yeah it was weird it was a it was a busy night um but yeah so i haven't really had much of a history with it you've had a history with it um and so what's because i don't know as much about spaghetti westerns i think you, pro- you talked about seeing stuff that tarantino recommended like what's kind of what comes to mind when you think of a spaghetti western? Oh, just in general, like the in general, genre. Yeah, in general, the genre. I, I think. Well, I mean, obviously, style. Um, yeah. Uh, like just the camera work, uh, the snap zooms, the crazy like camera movements. Um, Morricone scores uh, yeah, a lot, a lot, of, that, a lot more, of time. Um, and uh, I think it's just the energy. Like it just feel different. Um, yeah. And I, 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 to me, it's always interesting seeing like another country tackle another country's history. Yeah. yeah. And just like the the Itali- the Italian sensibilities looking at this time period in America uh, is, yeah. is very interesting. 
Yeah, because I know what Harry Leone talk about is like with this one specifically. It's like I always want I wanted to capture like the absurdity of war and and kind of satirize the American myth of the Western and the, yeah. and the John Wayne types. So as we said, like what happened with her vision of stuff is happening here is that it's called the good, the bad and the ugly, but like there's really not a traditional good character in this movie. Yeah, I mean, East, they all screw each other. Over yeah. Eastwood plays Blondie. Who's the good. And he's a kind of morally ambiguous character. Like he doesn't really trust anyone. You can't, you can't really trust him. I think the only thing that, he, that makes him good is that he does seem somewhat compassionate compared to the other two. It's like you think I think of like him with the with the soldier who's dying near yeah. the cemetery and he gives him his jacket or his his, his thing. His or even jacket. the captain, he tells him to keep your, your ears open. Uh, yeah. Or the general or whatever. Yeah. yeah. He, he, he tends to be when push comes to shove, he tries to be the good person if he feels like there's some sort of innocence maybe still there. I don't know. It's like... Well, even he, that moment with Tuco. So after Tuco talks to his brother, um, yeah. and he witnesses what really happened, yes. and then Tuco's like telling him a lie, like, yeah. oh, my brother still cares yeah, about yeah. me. And then you kind of see... I mean, I think that's as close as he would become to be empathetic to Tuco. Yeah. Um, but, he, you know, he says, you know, he just gives him a cigar and, like, he yeah. has it. Um, so there's, like, that 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 moment there. So I, I think I think he is probably the most empathetic of, of the three yeah. of them. But then you have someone like uh, uh, Tuca, who's the funniest of the group, uh, and who weirdly has like, uh, we'll talk about it more. He hit his character is a little bit more complete compared to the other two of Lee Van Cleef as as Angel Eyes. It's like Angel Eyes and Blondie. There's still there's a mystery that surrounds them. Sure. When Tuco has a little bit of the backstory to him with his brother and stuff, we'll go with that more. But yeah, it's like we talk about the Man with No Name trilogy. It's like that that becomes. Eastwood's character is all very much not not doesn't have a lot of development throughout. It's that he is this kind of mysterious figure. Yeah, and it's also somewhat of an origin story for the next two. Well, I mean, even though they came before it, yeah, uh, he doesn't don the poncho until the end of this. One. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and this one too is like again, this is this is kind of a prequel, and we'll talk about that as we go. Um, so yeah, lo- so let's kind of dive into the history of how this got made. So at the end of the fifties, we've been kind of talking about this: is that the western genre is in full force in America. And outside of a few exceptions, it was common for the good guys to wear white and the bad guys to wear black. Everything was clear for the audience at that time. There was no morally gray area. But across the Atlantic, things were beginning to shift. After World War II, when European countries made westerns, they were mostly comedies. But when the 60s started, a grittier version of the western was created. Many of these movies were co-productions or productions between countries like Spain and Italy. Um, America would later come involved, become involved in some of these movies, and we'll talk about that today with this movie specifically. Um, but these westerns would be known as spaghetti westerns because of their ties to Italy. Um, 1964 would be a landmark year for the genre, with more than 20 movies being made from either Italian productions or co-productions. The biggest film that year would be Sergio Leone's A Fistful of Dollars, a western, a western remake of Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo. Um, Leone's film would help define the genre with its distinctive camera work, locations, music, and acting style. Before helping create the genre of spaghetti westerns, Leone had been working in the Italian film industry since he was 18 years old. He dropped out of studying law at university after seeing his father work on several film sets. At one point during his studies, I don't know if this was in high school or younger, he actually was classmates with his future collaborator, uh, Ennio Marconi. Leone began working for famed director Vittorio De Sica on his landmark film, 
Bicycle Thieves, where Leone served as his assistant. Oh, I didn't um, know that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so very briefly. After that, he began writing screenplays specifically within the sword and sandal or epic genres. And those were really big at, at this at time. At that time, yeah. exactly. And his first solo, he actually, it was... He it was he was on one film and the director got sick and he had to step in and be the director for the movie, um, but he wouldn't get sole credit for it. Um, his so his first solo directorial effort would be would come in 1961 with the Colossus of Rhodes. But Leone soon realized that these types of films were falling out of favor with audiences in Italy and in, in Europe, and when he just and and that's when he decided to make A Fistful of Dollars, the first film in his Dollars trilogy. The film would be a financial success in Europe, and he would then make for a few dollars more as his follow-up in the series. Um, due to the success of both these films overseas, uh, the American studio United Artists contacted the co-screenwriter of the film. Again, these are Italian names. I'm, I'm going to butcher probably this, this episode. But uh, Lucioni Vincenzoni, Vincenzoni um, about signing a contract to make another film within the series while also receiving the U.S. distribution rights for the other two films, uh, or at least for a few dollars more. Um, Leonia's producing partner, Alberto Grimaldi, had no plans to make a third film in the series, uh, but they allowed Vincent Zoni to pitch an idea for a third movie. Um, United Artists liked the idea of these three rogues who try to find treasure against the backdrop of the American Civil War. United Artists would agree to make the picture giving the film uh, a $1.2 million budget. I've also heard $1.6 million budget is another thing, but it was at least double the amount of for a few dollars more, which was only $600,000 of his budget, or a budget of $600,000. Which doesn't sound like a lot, but we got to remember we're talking about the 1960s. 1960s, yeah. 1.2 is a very big thing. But because the film took place in the Civil War, it served as a prequel to the other films of the series, which took place after the Civil War. Um, Leone would then take Vincent Zoni's concept and craft it into something that showed... The absurdity of war, as I said. He said he made the prisoner of war camp to be a northern camp because it was well known the Confederacy had camps of this nature that I think he said one of them had like 120,000 deaths or whatever that were like northern prisoners of war or something. But he said no one talked about the northern camps that held prisoners because he knew they existed. He said, you always get to hear about the shameful behavior of the losers, never the winners. So that's why it's a northern camp in the movie. There'd be a lot of conflict when it came to writing the actual script, though. As Leone worked more on the ideas, Vincent Zoni recommended the comedy writing team of Agnori and Cruci and Furio Scarpe- Scarpelli uh, to work on the script Leone and his other co-writer, Sergio Donati. Uh, Leone would let her say, I couldn't use a single thing they had written. It was the grossest deception of my life. Uh, co-writer Donati agreed, saying, there was next to nothing of them in the final script. They only wrote the first part, just one line. Uh, uh, Vincent Zoni would later claim he wrote the screenplay in 11 days but would not write any more due to alleged conflicts with Leone. He would apparently give the film uh, its name. I think the original name was like The Two Tramps or something. Yeah, The Two Magnificent Tramps. And then he suggested The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Um, The film would reunite for a few dollars more castmates of Clint Eastwood and Lee Van Cleef, but this time they were on opposite sides. Um, Lee Van Cleef jokes jokes saying, uh, they brought me back because they forgot to kill me off in the last one. Uh, Van Cleef was mostly known for villain roles of his career, uh, so this was in line with his usual roles while he was kind of the good guy. Um, He's fantastic and for a few dollars more. Um, Eastwood would take some convincing to appear in the film, however. Um, Eastwood had just finished up the television show Rawhide, which was pretty big at that time. Um, and 
even though these films had not been released in America yet, um, so he wasn't really a big star in terms of films, uh, but but he still needs some convincing. Leone and his wife traveled to California to persuade Eastwood, but Eastwood agreed. Eastwood agreed, but he would only do it for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, ten percent of the profits in North America, and a Ferrari. Not a bad trade. Yeah, Leone wasn't happy with that deal, but he agreed to it. Uh, and and Levi and Cleef was in a lot of great spaghetti westerns. Uh, yeah. yeah, like Death Rides a Horse and yes. The Grand Duel. And, yeah. Yeah, and again, it's like he he had he basically his career was on the downward spiral kind of. He had a car wreck, I believe, pre the Spaghetti Westerns, and that's what kind of helped. I mean, the Spaghetti Westerns really kind of rejuvenated his career, and now is what he's probably most known for. Yeah, yeah. It, it are those films? Well, where's he from originally? Do you know, like uh, what country? Uh, he's he's from America. He was oh, an American no. actor. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he was from New Jersey. Oh wow. Um. Yeah, he was. His debut film was High Noon. Kansas City Confidential looks like Ronald Walsh. So yeah, he was kind of just like a supporting character in a, in a lot of uh, films. He was in Manuscript Liberty Valance, How the West Was Won, and then had a three-year gap. And I think that might be been a win. No, his car crash happened in 1958. Um, uh, he had a, such a bad knee injury, physici- physicians thought that he would never be able to ride a horse again. Oh, wow. Um, it, the injury did plague Van Cleef for the rest of his life and caused him great pain. Um and required him to halt his career for a time. So really, this 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 genre really kind of helped him out tremendously for that latter half of his career. It helped a lot of actors out, though. Uh, yeah, it did. I mean, let's be real. Eastwood, like Eastwood had not been in many movies at this point, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying this man was a star, but like it it definitely shot him up. I mean, two hundred fifty thousand dollars for a guy who hadn't really been a big movie star in America at that time—that's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, for the character of Tuco, Leone thought about. Gian Maria Volanti, who played the villain in the previous films, uh, and for a few dollars more, for a few dollars more, and a fistful of dollars, but Leone felt he needed someone with a natural comedic ability. After seeing Eli Walk and How the West Was Won, which also I think Lee Van Cleef was also in, uh, Leone met with Walk in L.A. and Walk was hesitant in taking the role because he thought it was too similar to his role in How the West Was Won. Leone then screened the opening of For a Few Dollars More, and after viewing it, Walk said, "When do you want me?" And he's so good in this movie. Really I, it's really great. hard to picture somebody else in that role. Yeah. Um, and now they have the trio and the money. Production for The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly began in May of 1966. And that leads us to favorite scenes. So, David, what is one of your favorite scenes? I mean, I movie? feel like we could just it'd be a whole two-hour and 40-minute podcast yeah. on just the, my favorite scenes. Um, I mean... I, I'm not I'm not going to jump to the finale. We can like save that, save that for yeah, last yeah, as the that, movie yeah. does. Um one of my favorite scenes is when he talks to his brother Pablo. Yeah, I, I think I think it reveals a lot about Tuco. Mm-hmm. It's a very very sweet moment, um, but also very heartbreaking because you yeah. see kind of the path he could have chosen in life. Yeah, yeah. Um, but instead he chose to be the bandit, and and he also says, "And my my choice was harder because his, his brother Pablo is a is a priest. Is a priest, yeah. yeah. And he says, like that's the two paths we had where we came from. Like we could yeah we could have gone the path of the church or we could have gone the path of the bandit. I chose yeah. to be a bandit. Yeah, and it was harder. Is what yeah. He said. That's what he thinks. Yeah, yeah, it was it was hard to do that. He's just he's just sitting in a monastery doing whatever. But I'm like I'm, I'm risking my life every right. day. I mean, and even when we're intro to Tuco, he's he's literally running for his life, like he's escaping death. Yeah, he's escaping it, death. Yeah. Tuco, for the most part, this entire movie is escaping yeah. death in some way, yeah. and somehow he's able to do it. Like he's his character is just like every time you think he's like done for, he's 
breaking out of something to get away from people, and he and he winds up at the place that he needs to be. Right, is kind of the funny thing, and right. he, and sometimes he was the first one there, which is also kind of funny that he's like he's the last one to leave, first one to get there type thing a lot of the time. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then another one of my favorite scenes is when um so after uh, I'm trying to place this in the in the general plot, so after uh, after Blondie Eastwood teams up with um is sort of forced to team up with Angel Eyes, Angel Eyes yeah, yeah. Uh, who's played by Lee Van Cleef, they. There's a moment where he hears a um, Tugel fire his gun to kill the guy, yes. one of the guys who was trying to kill him at the beginning. Yeah. And then he, he's like, uh, every gun has his. I forgot yeah. what the. What yeah, was every it. every gun has his own sound yeah, or something. Yeah. But anyway, so after that moment, they team up again, him and Tugel, yeah. and they take out Lee Van Cleef's men. And I love yeah. that sequence. Um, no, it's and they like sequence. destroy town, and they're yeah. they're moving in and out of like the room or the buildings, and yeah. Yeah, I think I think what what I was not expecting coming to this movie again, coming into it the first time, I was not expecting how funny it was. <laughs> And how it, it's a it's an interesting kind of team up between Wallach and Eastwood. And yeah, their dynamic is honestly like it's, the crux of the movie. It's the whole. It's the it's the best part of the film. Their yeah. dynamic is the best part of the. Film. And how it ebbs and flows. How they yeah. screw each other over. How they you know. And then they end up teaming up again. You know. It's like he tells him the name of the, the grave, and he's like, "Okay, cool." And then he like leaves him there, like a, few, a little bit what, later. Like, there's the heartfelt moments again. It's like it's when Eastwood overhears about the brother, and they yeah. have kind of like a moment. You're like, cool, these guys are on the same page. And that's like when they're having the moment of like, I'll tell you the cemetery if you tell me the name. Yeah. And he says it, and then he says, like, oh, cool, we're on the same page again. And then it's like, bam, I'm I'm leaving you the first chance I get. Yeah. Um, it's even, it's, I mean, another funny moment is when Tuco like, is like, it's kind of like going to kill Eastwood. But then when he finds out, when Bill Carson tells Eastwood the name of the, the grave, the yeah. grave, he's like, oh, my buddy, my best friend, yeah. don't die on me. I got to get you. I got to yeah. get you. I've always but he even visits him like as he's recovering in the room. Yeah. He's yeah. Just like, oh. There's a moment where he says, like, we're both alone, Blondie, but we have each other. Yeah. No, it's, it's, they're, 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 they're fantastic. It's, it's the, it's the funny, like, it's not buddy. It's like a buddy movie in a weird way yeah. with them, um, where they're two people who were on the same path. Uh, in some way, but are just very different in their perspective of life. Is it, again, I think yeah. what makes Eastwood the good in this in this movie is that he he does have some sort of compassion for sure. people and empathy for people, um, and seeing where they're at in their lives. If it's the Confederate soldier, or if it's if it's Tuco after the his his uh, scene with his, the, his priest brother, like it's it's any of that. Um, and that leads me to that. I think going backwards, uh, the beginning. I think every kind of character has a great intro. Yeah, intro. Absolutely, moment. it's fantastic. It's like you have Tuco like running out of the bar and then and then uh, getting away, and then you have Lee Van Cleef with his, um, basically essentially seeing kind of how brutally is twisted yeah. and evil and, and, and it's, brutally it's back is. to back scenes of him of his yeah, brutality. Of brutality. And when I, so when I was watching it, I was like. And you can tell me if I'm wrong here, because you're, you're the Tarantino guy here. But like, it felt very reminiscent of Christoph Waltz becoming Glorious Bastards. Interesting. I didn't uh, place that lineage, but I know Leone's DNA is all over Tarantino's yeah. films. Um, but yeah, no, I can totally see that now that you say that. Yeah, it just feels yeah. like he's like this character has a secret, and Lee Van Cleef knows he has a secret, yeah. and is sitting down with him at a table. Making or trying to get him to to right. get the secret, and, and he always ends, finishes the job. Yeah, and it ends with what it was in with them both. Those ends with the shootout, yeah. with people getting killed, and 
and in some case somebody being left behind to being left the behind yeah. that yeah. that's that's now dealt with yeah. the loss that they've had yeah. we never come well back i mean shoshana escapes but yeah but yeah still, yeah i mean yeah there's still someone who somebody who's, survives somebody it. survives yeah. it yes and so I, when i watch oh this feels very much like because the, the yeah. tension's very much there because they're talking around it and then the guy's like fine like i'll I'll give you the info yeah. if you just like leave us alone. And that's like, well, I've already been paid. So got to see the job done. Got to see the job done. So but then he still you. takes that money and kills the still other guy. So money. It, yeah. And he didn't have the money for the first guy yet. That's the funny part. Is, oh, yeah. if I get paid, I got to do the job. He didn't get paid yet. No. I'm only interested in what name Jackson's hiding under now. Why do you think Jackson may be assuming another name? I would have found him already. When I start off to find somebody, I find him. That's why they pay me. Why is Baker paying you? That's your family? Yes. <laughs> nice family. What does he pay you for murdering me? $500 to get the name. And like in so many um, moments in the film, the score is just perfect for, yeah. the, for, for what's happened. Score is perfect throughout the movie. Yeah. It's it's like, I, realized, I was listening to this, and we'll get this later, but I was listening to it, I go, where did I know the score from? Oh, Ecstasy of Gold? Yeah, Ecstasy yeah. of Gold. I was like, where did I know this Ecstasy of Gold? Every sporting event that's and ever. I go, oh, Modelo. It's Modelo commercial. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's also played, at least it's played at UK games, is, every yeah. single UK game. Yeah, a lot, a lot of places, but I was, I was like, where? Because I knew, the, I, yeah. you know the famous, like the, the big opening of yeah. it. That I always knew. But I didn't realize that that XC of Gold was from this yeah. movie. Um, no, the, yeah, it's all, that's all amazing. Um, this music, music wise. And then also Eastwood's introduction is very interesting because that's you, it, because it holds, or it, it doesn't show his face for the longest time. It doesn't. And it's really brilliant how they introduce his character in that Yeah. Way. No, it's, it's fantastic. And again, with, with that, it's like, and also it establishes a very interesting relationship with him and Tuco because you don't. I think it's probably on their way there when he when he turns him in where you're like oh they're they're on the same team it's sure. like it's it's the interesting kind of five for you five for me yeah and he's like oh my my neck's on the line like I should be getting more um and then he misses the next time and it's like this I'll, I'll come up, that can be a story question later but <laughs> going off that that part I understand I love again it's like when he leaves Tuco out there like oh you just uh, if you like don't breathe and you might be able to make it or whatever he says to him. Uh, he's leaving in the oh, desert. Yeah, yeah. There's so many miles back to town. Miles, yeah, yeah. yeah, but then, but then the 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 fun part is when Tuco again somehow gets out of it and catches up to Blondie, and he finds him doing the same stuff with this other dude, and Tuco's like, no, 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 you can't. Like basically says you can't help him out, and and you just have to watch this guy hang and not save him. Yeah, and that guy's probably thinking, what the hell, man. <laughs> Well, even said, uh, Eastwood says sorry. Like, I, you yeah. know, obviously not to him, but from yeah, a distance, he's where he's like, like, from his um, yeah, she's like oh, his vantage man. point. Yeah, I hate that. And going that with that with Tuco, because Tuco has an interesting thing. He does the, like the the he does the like oh yeah, father son Holy Ghost type thing. Anytime he kills someone <laughs> or something, he's just like yeah. oh, or, or even when he like falls on the grave of someone at the uh, at the cemetery, yeah. he gets up and does the the cross. And I'm like, oh wow, this character has like, and maybe that's the brother thing. It's the priest brother. Yeah. We're like that's religion and, and God is always like over his head in some way. 
And so even though he knows he's living a bad life, he still has to like, oh, I have to yeah. get uh, get uh, uh, forgiven. I um, think every character has some sort of moral code, but it's personal to them. Yes. It's not morally sound to anybody outside of, of that person. Like it doesn't the, make, probably it doesn't yes. make any sense to Angel anybody. Eye has a, Angel Eyes has a very specific code, um, and it's almost like it's I'm I'm for myself. This, right. this kind of the thing. Uh, and if you get in my way, uh, you'll be gone. Um, but no, I think the movie, the movie flies. Like I told you, I, t- I told yeah, the you that. Pacing I, is, I, the pacing is, it's a movie from the 60s. It's two hours and 40 minutes, at least the yeah. cut that I saw. Yeah, and, and then almost three hour cut in other yeah. places. Yeah, I, I think the, the cut I saw in theaters was, yeah, was the, the three hour. The Italian cut is the 177 minutes. Because I saw, right, there's hours. a scene that I watched, I watched again on YouTube, but there's a scene before Tuco uh, goes to attack Blondie, um, with the three guys, yeah. and the three guys go through the door, and he goes through the window. Well, there's a scene before that where he hi- where he essentially hires those three guys, um, and he like finds them in this cave. It's a really strange scene, but it makes sense why why it was cut. That's the opening of the movie. No, 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 no. It's just it takes place before um, he goes back to Blondie when Blondie's in the hotel, and and gotcha. those three gotcha. guys come in, and he yes. shoots them, and he goes, yes. and he tells there's two kinds of, like they're they're joke throughout the. Oh yeah, it's, yeah, there's two kinds of guys: ones who come in the door and ones who come through the, the window, window. Or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so the three guys that come in through the window, there's a scene before that where he hires them, oh, okay, uh, and gotcha. he finds them in this cave. It's a really strange gotcha. scene, but that scene was in the cut that I saw in in the theater. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, oh, yeah, I mean, Tuco has just fantastic lines throughout oh, the no whole doubt. movie. It's the, like, the, uh, one of his improv lines, because Eli Walk kind of had a little bit of a leeway with certain things. One of the improv lines was in that, was when he's in the, was in the bathtub, and it's the, like... Um, if, if you're, you're gonna, gonna shoot, shoot, shoot! Don't talk. And and they said the crew like burst out in, in laughter because they they thought it was so funny. He's like, I thought I was. Be-, he's like, I was being serious when I said that. he wasn't trying to be funny. It was, yeah. just, but I said it was the way his face was. But I laughed so much from from Tuco in this yeah. film. Like Wallach is Wallach is fantastic in this movie. Um, and yeah, it's and even just his facial expressions too. His facial really expressions cool. are great. It's it's the eye, it's the very expressive eyes yeah. and the eyebrows like. Even even in the in the kind of the finale sequence, you kind of kind of have that the moment. I died out laughing. It was Tuco and uh, and Blondie when they're in the Confederate outfits, and they're oh. driving away, and he's like, "Yeah, Confederacy, like uh, uh, Boo Grant, yay!" And he's like, "What's that? What's that guy's name? Lee, Lee." Like, you can't remember the general. <laughs> you can't remember the general's name, and then. As they get closer, and the guy looks at him, and, and you realize, oh shit, they're covered in dust. Oh, those are blue uniforms. Oh, they're Union soldiers. Yeah, great. And I died because I was just like, what a like a unexpected twist in that moment. And it was already funny because of the way Tuco's reacting. Yeah, and now it's just like. He could have easily lied and said, like, oh, no, we're opposing the Confederacies. But instead, because they acted that way, they're like, oh, crap, I think we're Confederate soldiers. And it cuts to them being taken in. Yeah, and that's a great sequence, too, in the, uh, in the prisoner in of the war prisoner camp. In the prisoner of war camp. I was going to say that. It's like when you, it's, it's the great moment when... Because Angel Eyes has been gone for a while in yeah. this movie. And when they hear Bill Carson, and he just cuts to him, and now poses a Union soldier yeah. who's... He's in, we don't know how he's infiltrated this, this camp, but somehow he has. And he's just like... Oh snap! Bill and Carson's, he's high up in the chain too. He's yeah. high up in the chain, which is somewhat insane to think about. Um, One of the interesting things that I saw on that behind the scenes uh, that I watched on the Kino Lorber release mm-hmm. was that moment where the band is playing and it pans across to the guy and he tells him to play with more feeling. Yeah. So the guy that did that wrote like the dub lines. Yeah. He he said he spent all morning trying to figure out what to put in that guy's lips. He had no idea, and he, he came back to or he said he came back after lunch and it just hit him. 
And he said, more feeling. And it, 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 it fits perfectly. Because <laughs> I forgot what the Italian original Italian translation would have been, but it was uh-huh. something completely different. But he was like, it, that fits that number. And that's the part I love, too, is like when 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 uh, Angel Eyes calls on Tuco, who's like now posing as Bill Carson or whatever, um, and he knows who he is. Because I love Eastwood's just like, I need someone to bring it Bill Carson. Better be yeah. you, man. Well, he also has the eye patch, too. Of yeah. Tuco has the eye patch on to, yeah. to complete the uh, disguise. The disguise. But when he goes and meets kind of Angel Eyes, it's kind of like, oh, yeah. Like, and he thinks everything's good. And Angel Eyes is scared to, like, he can just turn on you so quickly. Oh, yeah. And that's what he does when he, like, locks him up uh, when they're in that kind of, like, dinner, having 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 food. And and then it's just, it's when the, when the song's playing outside. Yeah. And while he's getting the crap getting beat him. Beat, beaten up and they're just like yeah he doesn't they don't stop until the song stops and the song just keeps playing yeah, yeah. and you're like oh man, he's gonna get killed in there yeah. and blondie's just like okay he's he might die um but and then i love that little term where like finally he admits what the cemetery is but um uh then blondie doesn't get beaten up he's like yeah i'll never tell you so and, and and like Angel Eyes knows it because again Angel Eyes knows that Blondie has a specific code and he he knows his personality. He's like, oh yeah, he's never going to tell me whatever I do, so I'm just going to take him with us right. and have him tell tell me that way because um, I'll find I'll find a way on the ride there to convince him to yeah tell us where this uh, which gravestone yeah which gravestone is. Was it hard crossing the desert? Mm-hmm, very hard, <laughs> especially if you don't have anything to drink. Why are you going under the name of Bill Carson now? One name is as good as another. Not wise to use your own name. Like you. I bet they don't call you Angel Eyes. <laughs> Times an <and> Angel Eyes. Like a little music with your meal, Tuco? Music? Yes, it's very good. Very good for the digestion. We, I said before, we talked about the line of, if you're going to shoot, shoot, don't don't talk. I love when the, that, that one-armed man is kind of fun. Yeah, again, yeah. He's just like, I've been wait, I've been searching for you for seven months. <laughs> and then, bam. And it's like, oh, that's it. That's, that's, that's the payoff from the opening of the movie. Yeah, yeah. The, we didn't talk about the opening shot either, but it's such a strange, like how the guy moves into frame. I don't even know I how to, I, I had to. I had to rewind it. Yeah, because he like was is he like is he like bent under the camera and then he just like and he just turns. Yeah, and I don't know. It how was to describe very, it. It was very odd. And you're oh. just like that's a. It kind of reminds me of what Klaus Kinski used to do, the Kinski spiral, where he would like stand on his ankle, sort of, and then uh-huh. so that way he would spin into frame real fast. Yeah, it's re- it was really strange, but it added such a menacing factor when he would was spin into frame like that. Yeah, no, it's, it's again in- intros are great all around. Um, so let's let's get into this final. I mean, thirty or twenty or really fifteen. Minutes. Well, yeah. So this this run of the end of this movie, and I I'm gonna include really, yeah. the Civil War, yeah, sequence, Civil War, the Civil War battle the sequence, bridge yeah, stuff too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like from that until the end is just that's about non-stop. thirty minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just nonstop. Um, it's 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 wild. Yeah, it's wild. Um, but I, I I really enjoy the scope of that Civil War battle because they yeah. could have probably cheated there if they wanted to. It's but big. it feels like a like it's you're big. in the trenches with. I them. think if you don't have that United Artists one point two million dollar sure. budget, you don't get that scene. Yeah. Um, you don't get that scene, and and Leone was all about scope if he if he could if yes. he could do it. But again, he shows like with his with his movies, it's like once I've seen, it's like he shows that you can make it very big in scope, just by how you design your shots. Exactly, because like it could just be two people and a 
just a blanket landscape. Yeah. That doesn't cost much. <laughs> yeah. Like, but he shoots it like it's this huge, massive thing. Yeah, I mean, he has that huge sweeping shot when they arrive at the at the battle uh, or yeah. at the battle area. I yeah. Don't know. Oh yeah, yeah. When, yeah. when, they, when they catch when they yeah. catch them, and they're walking yeah. in, and, I, and someone talked about how like if you watch it, like you never really see what's outside the frame. Right. It's always from the character's perspective until they. So it's that scene where like they're walking in, they're like they don't see all of a sudden, all of a sudden soldiers pop up. Yeah. Like, oh man! But then you then the camera it just moves, reveals past that this bush. This huge like, thing. You're like they didn't notice this. <laughs> like you could hear this at least, right? Yeah. Um, but but yeah, no, but yeah, that sequence in, and then and the the bridge sequence when they're like, how would we do? And then it's the the explosives. Oh, let's let's blow. And these it's, again, these two guys them running across like to blow this bridge yeah. up. Um, together, and then again we get to the grave, and you have the thing where it goes in the part where where they tell each other what the information is that they have in case one of them dies. In case yeah. one of them dies, and then and then Tuco runs off when when Blondie's like kind of giving the last cigar smoke to the Confederate soldier. Who's, yeah, he takes advantage of that that moment. Yeah, take that. And but I like, love that Blondie just fires the cannon. He just fires the cannon. The horse freaks out and, and yeah. leaves between he's running, and then he runs to the grave and finds the grave. And one part that I found that I thought was funny when watching it, and I found out more about it, is when he's, it's the big, again, the big sweeping shot of all the tombstones, yeah. all the grave, and he's like, oh, God, how I found it. And the it. dog. And the dog runs yeah. by. That wasn't planned. Oh, oh sorry. really? Eli Wallach didn't know it was going to happen. Oh, I see. Leone did it because he felt the scene would be too melodramatic in a way. Oh, without because, another... without without something kind of funny in it. Huh. So so Eli's Wallach's reaction is genuine. He was like, "What the hell?" He doesn't know there was a dog and me running through the set. So he's kind of confused and keeps going, but he's thrown off by it at first. That was that was planned by Leone, but not I Wallach see. didn't know about it. Um, and then also like from that moment till the end, the, the like that's like two of Morricone's best. Score tracks yes. of all time. Yeah, it, it uh, really it really yeah. is like just you're going into like, I mean, how to put it in your terms, but you're, it's it's the 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 music really does showcase like the final battle, even though it's oh, not yeah. a battle. And then we yeah. it's a shootout, but like it's not a massive battle, but it feels like we're we're in the end game now yeah. type thing. Well, I mean, it goes straight from the ecstasy of gold to the trio, and the trio when they do the final duel, this one, yeah. the trio is what's playing, and it's just like th- those two songs are just. I mean, I, I mean, it's like transcendent yeah like there's just like they just don't make film music like that no they don't they don't um and again it makes the movie feel bigger than than what it is again it's just three people in a circle by the end by the end that point i mean you have lee van cleef popping up and just like uh so so, so tuco finds the grave and then then blondie shows up and says you gotta dig you know yeah um and then Lee Van Cleef shows up and is trying to make Blondie dig, and then Blondie reveals, "Oh, this isn't actually the grave." Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we gotta we gotta earn this because this is a lot of money. So yeah. we have to earn we have to earn this. We gotta earn this, and which it, leads it to the final duel. The, and that's another interesting thing that I think um, ties back into Tarantino is the original draft of Django Unchained, or at least the one that I read. I think it's a second draft mm-hmm. has a big final duel. It's separate, like a, a duel. Yeah, like yeah. He gives them pistols and like it's like a duel, kind of uh-huh. like this. And actually, I just can't imagine that movie ending. Who's, ending with who's the duel between in the uh, him, Stephen, and I think Walton Goggins' character. I can't remember. Um, okay, that's yeah, fair. Yeah, but I can't remember. But he gives them pistols and he's like, "Okay, we're gonna spread out." It's like pretty much this. Okay, um, gotcha. Yeah, it's interesting, but very different. Obviously, very than, different movie. Yeah, yeah very yeah. different ending. Yeah. And it's it, it been one of the three endings of that movie. Um, <laughs> not dissing that movie, but that has three endings in that movie. So we'll do what you will. Um, that makes sense at that time, though. Um, but yeah, this 
for that genre at least. Um, but yeah, this so it goes into that, and then you had that th- the the Mexican standoff uh, between the three. And it's, this and big it's been round. said a million times how it's one of the greatest sequences in film, but you really cannot like overstate greatest shots. Yeah. One of the greatest shots. It's one of the greatest edited sequences. I think I think great performances from all three yeah. of them because they're having to act in in the you know the wider shots. They're having to act in the mediums, and then even all the way to the eyes. And I'm just like, even the hands. It's like you have oh, yeah. the Lee Van Cleef like r- somewhat reaching for his gun, then backing off, yeah. and not, and then reaching, and then that's when everything. Kind of goes. Um, and I always love that Tuco just has his pistol on a string. Yeah. It's like throughout the whole film. <laughs> and then he tries to shoot. He's like, ah, yeah. Would you clear my gun? Yeah. Yeah. Last night. Oh. Uh-huh. But no, yeah, sometimes I'll just throw the sequence on just to like get that adrenaline rush. Because it's really nothing like this. Because what I love too about the sequence too, what again, talking about editing, because you can tell everything's very much specific, is that, um, uh, is that you don't really see Eastwood's eyes a lot in that sequence. It's a lot of... Tuco and a lot of angel eyes until it really builds to a moment and then you see Blondie's eye. Like yeah. Just like like the the extreme close-up with the eyes. You don't see him that much compared to the other two. Um, and it might just because the other two are more... Their eyes are more expressive than Eastwood's mm. is probably the reason why. Because Eastwood's very like stoic, very straightforward when when Wallach has the eyebrows and yeah. the bug eyes and, and Lee Van Cleef has these very like piercing menacing eyes. And I also think in that moment, I think he, uh, I think Eastwood or uh, Blondie is the more com- most confident of those three. Yeah, of, he, of that he, he's yeah. going to end up. He knows end up Tuco this. doesn't have bullets. Yeah. He knows because he says, Oh, we're going to run around the rock right here, around the stone. And that's, oh, that's the name of where it's at. Yeah. And there's no name. on. And there's it. no name on it. He knows even if he gets shot and killed, they still won't find it. Um, because they won't know what that means, even though he's like, it means unknown, unknown, the unmarked grave, grave unmarked beside Arch Stanton, by, which by, is the name that he gives yeah, to Ar- Archie Stanton. Um, his reaction kills me. He's like, Arch Stanton. Yeah. But no, and then, and then you have the reveal and they, and they pull out the, pull out the gold and, and then it's the, it makes <laughs> him on the rope again. And then he gets yeah. back on the rope again. And you're just like, man, is he going to leave? Again, this morally ambiguous character. Yeah. It's like if he's really good, he would just like, "Cool, here's your money. I'm leaving you here with no horse or whatever." Instead, he's like, "No, no, no. You have to get up and hang." Yeah. And then you're gonna think you're gonna die, and then I'm gonna shoot you off so you can like get away, Blondie. <laughs> but no, it really just a, a phenomenal finale uh, in the movie, and just a phenomenal film. And the way that it all—not even just those like 30 minutes that we talked about—built to that, but the way the entire film builds to that. The is, whole entire is, film builds is, to that. Yeah, is pretty. Pretty uh, unheard of. No, I agree. Two can dig a lot quicker than one. Dig. You're not digging. If you shoot me, you won't see a cent of that money. Why? I'll tell you why. Because there's nothing in there. You thought I'd trust you? $200,000 is a lot of money. We're going to have to earn it. All right, Onset Life. The film began production uh, at a studio in Rome, Italy in May of 1966. After filming some of the opening there, production would then move to Spain where the majority of the film was shot 
to stand in for America, or at least the all the exteriors. And they shot a lot of these in Spain. Um, but it's pretty wild, like just looking at the vistas and stuff. Yeah, I, I, I never guess I'd never really realized Spain looks like that. Yeah, a lot of times it was it was meant to like be south uh, southwestern America and yeah. Mexico border. And Eastwood said that like. He goes like, if you're making a Spanish movie, they'd be, they'd be very nitpicky about what you're doing, but because you're you're representing America, they could they could give a shit. You'd do whatever in in, in Spain because like that's represent represent Americans, ha <laughs> Americans. Like <laughs> so they can just do whatever they wanted to, like how it looked or like. Oh, that's true. I didn't really think about what's going on politically in, yeah, in Spain. Yeah, like, ah, whatever. Like do whatever you want. Make fun of those Americans over yeah. there. Um, are receiving top billing uh, in the film. Uh, well, it, while Eastwood receives top billing in the film, the person who has the most screen time is Eli Wallach. Um, it seemed Wallach went through a lot on this set. Van Cleef said that Leone uh, loved Wallach, and he felt it was because Leone saw himself the most in Tuco because he felt oh, all, wow. the, all the characters were like a portion it, it of him. Wasn't it that um, Leone didn't speak, speak very good English yep. and Wallach like, didn't speak very good Italian, so they just spoke in French to each other? They spoke in French to each other, exactly. And, and Wallach was like very, wasn't good as French, but he still could do more than he couldn't do any Italian. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think that's why, I think Leone loved him so much. That's why he allowed him to improv a lot. Um, and I think, and that, besides the when you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. I think he also improved most of the gun store scene when he's going. Oh, that's to a good gun, scene too. It's the, it's the open and close sign. Like he said, he they taught him how like un because walks and how to use a gun or anything. So they taught him how like unload and load it or whatever, or assemble it or disassemble it. But he all the lines stuff were just all Wallet going through it. Um, but not everything was fun and games for Wallet. He had several scares while on set. Uh, first off, Wallet was almost poisoned. Uh, because he actually drank the acid that was used to burn the bags filled with gold coin for the <laughs> ending of the movie. The acid was used to help rip the ba- rip the bags open easier, but it was poured into a lemon soda bottle. What? Wallach didn't know this, and he drank it. Uh, he apparently had to drink a lot of milk, and he did, a, I think, the grave scene possibly with a mouthful of sores is what it was. Wow. Uh, he also cheated death a few more times, it seems. Uh, during one of the scene, scenes for the hangings, uh, the gunshot from Eastwood scared the horse Wallach was on and it took off for a mile with Wallach on the back with his hands tied behind his back. Uh, luckily the, the noose had broken off and it didn't yeah. actually hang him. Um, he said he would have to hang on by his knees for the entire ride of the horse. Dude, I cannot imagine how terrifying of a horse ride that would be. Yeah. And that leads me to another thing. Another good scene that I thought, damn, how they do this. Uh, Leone also wanted Wallach to be in the scene when the train cuts off his handcuffs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Leone said it would only be loud and might seem scary, but it would be completely safe. (laughs) Wallach, however, was unaware of the low-hanging step rails on the train, which barely missed his head by a few inches. If if Wallach would have stood up at any point or at the wrong time, he would have been killed by that train. Um, I mean, it seems like genuine fear in that in that moment. Yeah, like, yeah. That and that's why it's like, he, like you don't really. I don't know if you see that he's just like buried in the, yeah. in the sand. Like, oh god, I hope I don't die. Um, so I was like, man, how they just pull this shot off? Yeah. I was like, who the who is? And it was Wallach. Um, also, when Wallach arrived in Spain to film those sections of the film, all the hotels were full, and so <laughs> East would invite him to sleep over at the place he was staying at, and the two had to share the same bed. Uh, Wallach's wife, like named Ann Jackson. Told him he can now say he was the only man to ever sleep in the same bed as Clint Eastwood. Um, Clint Eastwood and Wallach would also play golf together during filming, and Eastwood would hang out with another famous spaghetti western actor, Franco Nero, while making oh, wow. the movie. Um, one of the one of Eastwood's biggest annoyances on set, however, was he had to smoke, and Eastwood was a non-smoker, um, and so he hated smoking the cigars that are in these movies. 
and Leone was known for doing multiple takes. Uh, and Wallach said sometimes Eastwood would tell Leone, you'd better get it this take uh, because I'm going to throw up because of the cigars. <laughs> well, that's another interesting thing that I, I saw in that behind the scenes was Eastwood talking about his difference of style to Leone. Yes. You know, Eastwood's famous for like not even telling actors he's shooting the rehearsal take, and yeah. then that's the take that's in the movie. Like, it's, they don't it's, even shoot it's usually always like, Okay, go ahead. Yep. Like it's and then it's like uh, and he, he doesn't was, say action or cut. But he was talking about like Leone's long shots. And he yeah. just didn't feel like he was just saying they had a difference of styles of how of how he saw yes. movies, filmmaking. And that late so so by this movie, they'd done three movies together, but Eastwood had become frustrated with Leone's directing style and basically kind of vowed I say vowed never work with him again. They never worked together again. I think he vowed never to work with Leone again after this movie. Yeah, because Leone wanted him to be in Once Upon a Time in the West. In what in the Fonda role or in the or I don't know which role, but he wanted because they went and met, gave him the script, and Eastwood said wow. no. But he wanted Eastwood in that movie. Um, and that's another one to. It's hard to picture other people in those roles. It really yeah. is. Um, as an Italian-made movie of that era, the sound was not recorded live. Uh, for those that don't know that, it's a very kind of common thing in the Italian cinema, uh, westerns or anything, if it's eight and a half or, or something like that. Um, the actors and actresses said their lines in their native languages, and the dialect was dubbed in post-production. According to Eli Wallach, when it came to blow up the bridge, uh, Sergio Leone asked the Spanish army captain in charge to trigger the fuse as a sign of gratitude for the army's collaboration. They agreed to blow up the bridge when Leone gave the signal uh, go over the walkie-talkie. Unfortunately, another crew member spoke on the same channel saying the exact same thing, meaning it's okay to proceed uh, to a second crew member. The captain heard the signal, thought it was for him, and blew up the bridge. Unfortunately, no cameras were running at the time. No way. I've heard that, and I've heard the, the camera... It, I also heard that the bridge... When it was when it blew up, it broke the camera. So either way, they had to make the make the bridge again and shoot it again. Uh, but with this story, Lanny was so upset that he fired the crew member who promptly fled from the set in his car. <laughs> um, the captain was so sorry for what happened that he proposed to Leone that Ar- Leone the army would rebuild the bridge to blow it up again with one condition that the fired crew member be rehired. Uh, Leone agreed. The crew member was forgiven. The bridge was rebuilt, and the scene was successfully shot. After that, um, movie magic, man. Movie magic. Um, one of the big things Leone did on the set was play Morcone's score, which had not been done up to that point, apparently, in the movies they made. Instead of waiting until after shooting was done, Morcone and Leone worked on the score before production began, and that allowed for music to be played while filming so the actors could hear it and the camera moves could be synced with the music. Uh, the filming for the movie would wrap on in July of 1966, and that leads us to the aftermath. The film was released in Italy on December 23rd, 1966. The film would not be released in America until a year later on December 29th, 1967. The reason for that was because the other films of the series had yet to be released in America. Some said they were hesitant to release A Fistful of Dollars originally because it was too close to Yojimbo and therefore they're going to get sued by Kurosawa. But eventually United Artists released all three films in America. A Fistful of Dollars released in January 1967. For a few dollars more was released in May of 1967. And The Good, Bad, and the Ugly was released in December of 1967. Unheard of. They have an so entire a, trilogy. A trial and trilogy in one, one year in America. Unheard of. But again, you think is that the 67, so that's three years after A Fistful of Dollars was made in Italy and released right. in Italy. Uh, the films would all be box office successes, with The Good, Bad, and the Ugly being the biggest of the three, grossing $38.9 million worldwide. There would be multiple versions of the film as well. The Italian version was 177 minutes. Uh, the American version was around 161 minutes. And there was even some British prints that were as short as 148 minutes. Wow. So I don't know when all was cut. Um, now, while the film was a box office success, it was not a critical success. 
Um, spaghetti westerns were not well liked by critics, uh, specifically by American critics. Uh, New York Times said when it was released, it was the most. It must be the most expensive pious and repellent movie in the history of its peculiar genre had hey, jokes on them uh, <laughs> los angeles times reviews that it, that the temptation is hereby proved irresistible to call the good bad and the ugly now playing citywide the bad the dull and the interminable uh only because it is only because it is roger Ebert liked the film but even his view was swayed by the accepted perspective that spaghetti westerns were inferior to american westerns and american films when he added the film to his list of great movies uh years later he noted that in his original review, review, he had described a four-star movie, but only gave it three stars, perhaps because it was a spaghetti western and so could not be art. That's his quote. Um, even Eastwood didn't like the film, thinking it was bloated and only gave, uh, only gave good character development to Wallach's character. In the years to come, as the genre Leone and the film have been reappraised, the good, the bad, and the ugly is now considered to be one of, if not the greatest spaghetti western of all time, and one of the greatest movies of all time. It has since appeared on countless greatest movies movies of all time lists, including Sight and Sound, Variety, Empire, and New York Times, who gave it a terrible review. Um, it also went on to influence countless filmmakers like Quentin Tarantino, Ryan Johnson, etc., um, but also had direct impact on America with the rise of the revisionist western, which came at the end of the 1960s, which we talked about with the Wild Bunch. So, David, what worked about this movie? I mean, I, what we were already talking about, the pace is just, it's, pace it's, is it's really wild. Um, you know, the scope of it, um, the camera work, the editing, the, the act, the performances. And mm-hmm. it, when you also take into account that everybody's speaking, multiple <laughs> actors are speaking different languages. Yeah. It, that that blows my mind. Yeah. Like, how do you act as somebody that's speaking a different language? Yeah, you know? you're just like, oh, well, um, we're so yeah. So the performances, uh, yeah, uh, the music, music uh, works. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, every, I mean everything. I mean, Every, yeah, everything. I agree. This, well, this, it, this it, is all what, the formal elements of filmmaking are, yeah. are, are are working really well together. This is one of those films we we covered where I can't really think of anything that didn't work. It's me. We'll see if you have anything, but I think everything pretty much from top to bottom works in this film. No, I mean I agree, and yeah. I, I I think this is one of those rare movies that's like super uh, super popular among movie uh, among movie buffs. Yeah, that, and they all agree that it's like you know n- near perfect. Yeah, no, it is. I think it's, I think it's a perfect film. I think I, this is a kind of goes jumps ahead of film facts, but I think it was like it's the only movie. It's the highest movie on on IMDb or whatever that doesn't have a an Oscar nomination of any kind or wow. something. Because it again was wasn't beloved critically yeah. in any way. Uh, um, and I know everybody always says that Once Upon a Time in the West is Leone's best, or many people say Once Upon a Time in the West is Leone's best, but I, I, I have to disagree. I, I, to me, it's always good, bad, the ugly. Uh, and yeah, the ending of Once Upon a Time in the West is amazing. It has great, many great sequences, but it just does not live up to the hype of the end of this movie. Well, I have to admit, I haven't seen Once Upon a Time in the West, so I'll have to get to that wow. at some point. But I think with Good, Bad, and the Ugly, I think what's so... It's a movie that not only is it great, but it entered into kind of the pop culture like lexicon for in sure. a way. It's like I hadn't seen the movie until now, but I knew about this I knew I knew the score. I recognized the score. I knew it was from since high school or whatever. Yeah. And you know the ending of the Mexican standoff and the and the with with that music specifically. And I know this applies to like the entire Dollars trilogy or Man with No Name trilogy, but that Poncho yeah, like a cowboy outfit. Like if you get a, g- a generic like cowboy outfit for Halloween, like you're gonna have that. It's kind of yeah. that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's it's very much like just it really entered into pop culture and has stayed there for. I I don't know of a western from that period or before that is as recognizable 
in terms of in, in some facet if sure. it's the score or if it's the the Mexican standoff or whatever or even Eastwood like a lot of yeah. his like famous famous images are from this yeah from or, this and, and even his western his all western images spurs from this yeah no pun intended spurs from this uh this character if it's him in Pale Rider or High Plains Drifter or if it's him in Unforgiven like it's like yeah. it's like he will always be tied to these specific movies even though he made other ones of of similar characters or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's always, he's always going to be tied to it. Did anything that work about this film? I say no. Agreed. Okay, cool. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> uh, Alton Weaver's cast. So people who were up for these roles at some point, I mentioned uh, the character, uh, Gian uh, Volante, who was in the other dollars movies that was up for um, Eli Wallach's character, Tuco. But uh, Lee Van Cleef's role of Angel Eyes was also, Two other people were up for it at one point. There was Enrico Maria Salerno, uh, who voiced Eastwood's voice in the Italian versions of the Dollars trilogy, was going to possibly play um, his character. But the big one, I think, was offered the role was Charles Bronson. Oh, and of course, he would go on to make um, Until Time in the West. But he was doing Dirty Dozen at the time, is what it was. Um, and that's when Leone was like, oh, let me go back to. to um, Lee Van Cleef because we he was good in the, in, in the last movie, but we'll make him a bad guy. Um, well, that might have been interesting though, seeing Bronson in, in that in that, in that role. role. Yeah. So, film facts. Um, one big thing: there was a proposed sequel to this movie uh, from Vincent Zoni, who wanted to make a Good, the Bad, and the Ugly Two, is what it was going to be called. See, the Italians always did this. Yeah, they would make sequels, and they would, or they would make sequels to American movies, and it would not actually, you know, technically be a sequel. Yeah. So like, sometimes it would have a two or something, you know, it was, it was strange. Yeah. So basically it was going to be set, say on numerous occasions that he had written a sequel, a treatment for a sequel. It was going to, and I think Eli Walk knew about it. The film would have been set 20 years after the original and would have followed Tuco pursuing Blondie's grandson for the gold. Not his son. For his half of the gold? In 20 years? Yeah. <laughs> he got bit. They both got busy. Yeah. Um, Clint Eastwood. Oh, well, he could have had a kid. We, we don't know. It's yeah. possible his character yeah. could have had a kid. Clint Eastwood expressed interest in taking part in the film's production, including acting as a narrator. Uh, Joe Dante and Leone were approached to direct and, and produce the film, respectively. Uh, the project was ultimately vetoed by Leone, as he did not want the original film's title or characters to be re- reused, nor did he want any involvement in another Western film. Was this... Was this how, how long ago after... Good the, how long after Good the Bad the That's Ugly a was good it? Question. So if 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 cause Leone dies in eighty nine, yeah, it's probably twenty years. It was wow. probably like sixty five, maybe six. I'm sorry, eighty five. Yeah, because if you look at Joe say, Dante, mentioning Dante, you're looking at Dante, especially to have that producing power. Yeah, that's kind of the period because you're looking at Gremlins or whatever. Yeah. Uh, um. It's interesting. I don't I don't know if I picture Joe Dante Joe Dante directing this movie or even like it's it's a weird, um kind of thing yeah i mean i think he i think his like cartoonish sensibilities would be would work well with the spaghetti western genre but he would have to pair it back uh clint eastwood wore the same poncho through all three man with no name movies without replacements or cleaning apparently i was about to say I, that thing cannot smell good yeah if it's in a if it's in some like prop uh prop uh warehouse somewhere or or in like a museum i think you so he would later give it a, give it away to a friend who I believed hung it in their restaurant in Carmel, California. Wow. If I'm not mistaken. Um, due to the striking height difference between Clint Eastwood and Eli Wallach, over nine inches between them. That's how much taller Clint how Eastwood tall is was. Eastwood? I, how short is Eli Wallach is the yeah, better oh question. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if he if I mean if he's 
if Eli walks like five five or something, and then Eastwood's like yeah. six two, like that's a pretty that's a pretty big gap or six one. Um, so sometimes it was difficult to to include them both in the same frame, is what they said. Um, the soundtrack was on the charts for over a year in America in 1968, reaching number four on the pop charts. Uh, the main theme would also hit number one on the pop charts, and several artists have covered the music or sampled it over the years, including the Ramones and Jay-Z and Modelo, as I said before. <laughs> um, so story questions. Do you have any story questions for the movie? Uh, yeah, I do have a story. Well, it's this story question is more so like something that I would like to see, yeah. but I would kind of want to n- kind of see how Angel Eyes and they like know each other, you know? Like yeah. not necessarily like a whole movie do it dedicated to that, but it'd be cool to like see their history, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, because yeah, Angel Eyes does see Blondie at one point uh, about to shoot the rope for Tuco. Yeah, yeah. Um, early on he says he has a blonde haired angel yeah. or a blonde what do you guys blonde haired angel something like yeah. that. Yeah, uh, guardian angel. Um, but I'm just curious what their like dynamic is because th- it suggests that they have a longer history. So, yeah, yeah. With two and Tuco as with, well. With Tuco as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, what's the hit? are these just like outlaws that like know each other because they're on all the reward right. posters or whatever? Oh, that was another great line. He says the guy when he first finds Tuco, he says, "You have a face, uh, you have a face pretty enough for two thousand dollars, something like that." Yeah. So that was a lot of those lines. And then, and then he's with Larry Lee. He's like, "Yeah, you never be more than three thousand dollars or whatever." Yeah, like, you'll never be worth more than three thousand dollars. <laughs> so what's the point? Um, <laughs> but um, it's when they dissolve the partnership because knows he's got his worth out of him. Yeah, I mean, one question I'm, I'm intrigued by again, it's it's stuff like if you add stuff, it like does a you don't really need to know is the thing. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's like, well, 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 like that's a whole separate movie. Two things. There's the one. I want to know how the hell Angel Ace got up so high in the the, un, yeah. the Union Army, like because he disappears for a while. Yeah, and like he's getting on a stagecoach at one point, and you don't know where he's going to. Like that's that's when he sees Blondie. And, yeah, and he and, calls him the Blondie. Yeah, yeah, he gets in a stagecoach with some women, and then we never see him again until they're in the prisoner of war camp, which is almost an hour later or more wow. in the movie. I think. Like it's far down the road. I yeah. feel like I think they don't get the prisoner. It's like hour and twenty, hour and thirty in the movie, and yeah. he's he's been gone for a while. Um, but yeah, I wonder how he does that. I also wonder what happens to that family in the beginning. Oh, like the mom, That's, the mom, yeah. yeah, and all and that. Then, yeah, and then also too, like why did uh, why did uh, and maybe it was answered why that guy who hires Angel has in the beginning. Why did he want to know like where Bill Carson? was was it that he was after the treasure as well or like i mean i think that's my assumption but okay. i don't know if the movie spells that out it doesn't i mean it doesn't need to yeah. but i'm just again these are just nitpick questions and also would explain why angel eyes wants to take him out because again he's trying to to cut loose ends he doesn't want anybody else to know that this yeah. money exists yeah because he's also afraid if if, if, if angel if angel eyes, if he he yeah. fears that if he doesn't kill this guy probably that he'll just hire someone else to come kill Angel Eyes or something. Well, he just wants to and get I, out. And I do love how this movie kind of touches on this idea of like fate and fortune because yeah. so so Tuco is to kind of set this up. Tuco has has brought to to get back at at um to get back at Blondie. He's brought him out to the desert yeah. and is like dragging him along the desert, basically to to dehydrate him and, and make yeah. him die. But and then it just so happens that the carriage with Bill Carson passes them. Yeah, you know, it's just it's just like that that idea of fate because. Yeah. And how they're all interconnected, f- chasing this money, but only yeah. because they were at the desert in that exact time for think, that carriage yeah. to pass, so that they, so that they could meet Bill Carson and he yeah. would tell them about the money. Yeah. All right, so awards: Beatrice Strait Award, actor, actress, one scenes that kills it. Who do you have? So I have two. Okay, um, and I, it's it's more so because I don't want to pick one. Okay. Um, so I have pa- Pablo, his uh, Tuco's brother. Yeah. Um, and Good then 
and then the other one is the alcoholic. Is he a general? I can't remember. Or captain. G- captain. He's a captain. Um, the alcoholic union captain uh, that's oh, like okay. running the the battle. That's a good uh, pick. Yeah, I just love him. He's he's so funny and uh, but it's also tragic. Like his, yeah. and you get this whole arc of his character in this like fifteen minute sequence. Yeah, yeah. I like that character. I also I'm gonna throw in Stevens, who's the character that that Angel Eyes talks to at the beginning that he kills. The the first one. Oh, who, yeah. who gives the yeah. Bill Carson name. Yeah. I just I love that scene so much in this movie. So and got, I mean, he holds his own in, in that moment. Yeah. He does. Yeah. He and does. You don't, we don't get it much. We don't get him, we don't get him again. Yeah. And it's the end of the movie. I'm still thinking about that, that scene. That's a great intro for for Lee Van Cleef. So we got Stevens, we got the Union General, and we have uh, the brother. Pablo, yeah. Pablo. Uh, another character I love, I, and I don't think we can. I could argue for this award, but a character that I love is the, the guy that uh, is missing his legs, the soldier that's missing his legs, <laughs> and he comes up He comes up to, uh, to Angel Eyes and makes a deal with him to give him the information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, that is a great scene, though. That is a great He's like, oh, I don't know. And Angel Eyes keeps giving him money to get information. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then he immediately goes into the bar and says, hey, bartender, bring yeah. me down a whiskey. Yeah, it's that's, that's, that's a fun moment. Um, if there is a if there is this even smaller Beatrice Strait moment, uh, it'd be the, it'd be that guy. Um, but it's a it's a tough decision for me because I think the I think the actor who plays Pablo really holds his own in that in that moment. I think so too. Uh, and you really see that like cha- that that you see the amount of like remorse that he has that this that their relationship isn't isn't um, like what what he wants. You yeah. Because I mean, that's, at the end of the day, it's his brother. Like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm sure he's disappointed in him, but. Uh, it's his brother, like it's well, his also, blood. And again, he's, he's also a priest, so like he has to learn to like forgive, forgive. people. Yeah. And and if he had to be a priest, if he can't forgive his own brother for the things he did, right? Um, and I mean, he did, it's just more did to himself in a way. It's like basically sure. abandoned them uh, in some way. And also seems like Tuco's holding harboring a lot of pain. I mean, they both mentioned that they, their parents. Yeah, yeah. And at at one point, they both sort of abandoned them to to yeah, pursue to, their to own pres- path. Yeah. yeah. This is a tough one. Uh, but the alcoholic general, I think he he just he perfectly sets the stakes of that moment, yeah. like w- with limited dialogue. But he's also just like a f- like a goofy, like not goofy's not the right word, but he's just a funny character. Um, uh, but you can also see kind of like the effects. You, I, th- I think this is really tying into like him showing the absurdity of war, yeah, um, yeah. because you see like the effect that this has had on the, on the leader of this battle yeah. that he literally has to drink to just function and like lead lead these. <laughs> these are good. These are good uh, arguments. Um. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Pablo, uh, played by what's this what's this actor names? Uh, oh gosh, Luigi Pastelli, um, who was in a lot of uh, oh interesting, in a lot of Brecht plays. Was considered one of the country's finest ter- interpreters of uh, Bertolt Brecht plays in, in Italy. Interesting. Huh. Um, uh, I I I think I think it's a good. He is good in the scene, and it's also again when talking about Tuco as a character, it adds to his character more than probably any scene in the movie. I think that's the most revealing part of Tuco is that scene, and I think that's a that's a for someone to come in for one scene and prop up a whole other character is while also kind of holding their own is also kind of difficult. I would I would say, mm-hmm. and he's also acting against Wallach, yeah. um, which is like a, that's a hard yeah. challenge in this movie. It's a hard challenge yeah. to begin. I mean, the union the union guy, uh, Captain Clinton, played by Aldo Giafri. Gosh, these Italian names are killing. Isn't he me. also credited as alcoholic union general or he something? Is correct. Something like that. Yeah, Captain Clinton. Uh, yeah, union alcoholic union alcoholic union captain. That's right. I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna for me I'm gonna, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Pablo. Yeah, is that your pick? Yeah. Okay. What about our parents? 
Only now do you think of them. To begin after nine years. Nine years? So it's nine years. <laughs> nine years! <laughs> Our mother has been dead a long time now. Our father died only a few days ago. That's why I was away. He asked for you to be there. But there was only me. And you. Outside of evil, what else have you managed to do? It seems to me you once had a wife someplace. <laughs> Not one, lots of them. One here, one there, wherever I found. Go on, preach me a sermon, Pablo. Annie Potts' X Factor Award supporting actor, actress that is the most memorable. So yeah, I, I think there has to be some sort of so here, argument. Yeah, here's my argument. Yeah. I think Lee Van Cleef is the one that fits in this category. I, I, I am curious to hear your argument, but also just don't think of who else has enough scenes to be supporting, but also has the least amount of scenes yeah. to not be a... Well, I think, I mean, uh, he, I, I granted, he is in the title, which is sometimes yeah. really, if you're in the title, you have to be a lead, but he is gone for like an hour in the movie and then is also kind of, we never, outside of the intro, I'm trying to remember if this is correct, outside of the intro, we never see, um, Oh, just his perspective outside just of his perspective him. outside huh. of that. I don't think there's a and maybe there is a scene, but I just think about. No, like, I, I think you might be right. I'm I think there's to think. never a perspective from uh, from Angel Eyes Except outside for his of introduction, that. Yeah, and you, in that scene, and, unless Blondie or Tuco were there for yeah. the most part, it's like you have again when it goes to the stagecoach parts. What's happening there? Blondie and Tuco are, are there, so it is, you're seeing still from his perspective, but like it's he's in there. Those characters are there in the Once, sense he's like not in a scene by himself outside of that outside of that of the and movie. then you take he leaves on the stagecoach and the next time you see him is when they're in the prisoner of war camp and the bill carson stuff yeah then it's the whole stuff of them getting out and going to find it they all get out and he's with he's with blondie throughout that and then when blondie and tuco reunite he's already gone yeah he's kind of already gone they're shooting up his gang and then the next time he kind of pops back up is them at the grave yeah you're right so he he's not in really, it as much as you think. In as much as you think. And that's why I think he really can't. Because I was actually, I was like, where the, where the hell is Lee Van Cleef for a while? I, I do know there's some deleted scenes with him, but I don't know okay. what point in the movie. It's, it might not, I remember there is a scene with him and that group and Blondie um, okay. on the way to the okay. destroyed town. Uh, but again, Blondie would have been in that moment. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, that's a, that's a very strong argument. And yeah. also, like you got to think, like if he's gone for an hour of a two hour and 40 minute movie, that's yeah. a big chunk of the and movie. It might not be an hour, but yeah. it's a while. Because you got to yeah. think is that he leaves in the stagecoach and that's just when you have the They're first... They're about to split their partnership, right? The, or, or is no, it the, it's first the first shooting? One. It's the, the first, first shooting. shooting. Yeah. So, like, I hate the first shooting. So, like, and then, so you have all that stuff, and then you have the whole, them doing the whole Splitsville, and then him catching him again, and then them going to the, the then find Bill Carson, and then going to the monastery, and then leaving that, and then going, and then getting caught. It's a lot of them doing a lot. Like It's, right. it's very much... Very much again the two the original the original title for the movie the two like whatever tr- two triumphant tramps or whatever it was supposed to be called like it's it's very much a two hander with with Eli Wallach and Clint Eastwood and Lee Van Cleef is just I think so powerful as the villain 
and memorable as the villain because of the big ending, because he's there for a lot of the ending. People think he's there in the entire yeah. movie, but he's not. So that's my argument. For and also those two scenes at the beginning that kind of, uh, that are yeah. from his perspective, get definitely set up that he's in it more than. Yeah. And he kind of has more of an intro than the other two do is a thing. Sure. He, Cause he, he has, has those back to back scenes. He has a back to back scene. So you really get a sense of who he is. And that might be because you never see him again for a while, but it's, he's always kind of lingering in your head of like, this guy's out there somewhere. Yeah. And we don't know where he is. And that's why it's so kind of impactful when he turns his head and when they're at the prisoner of war game, Oh shit, he's here. That's where he's been at. How the hell did he get here? Yeah. So they need to release the Snyder cut version, length version, uh, yeah. the Leone cut of of this whole arc of him getting into this POW camp and taking yeah. and like somehow getting into this posi- high up position. That's all our movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The bad the the bad infiltrates or whatever. Yeah. Um, no. Yes. Yeah. So I, I my pick for that is Lee Van Cleef because of, because I think he is the lesser in terms of screen time. No, that's a strong argument. I don't disagree. He said quite a bit that should interest you. And one or two things that interested me. Such as? The name Jackson's hiding under is Bill Carson. Huh. That's your bid. Keep talking. He also mentioned something about a certain uh, cash box, which just happened to disappear. That's huh. my bid. Anything else? Not enough for you, eh? Well, you don't have to worry. He'll never say anything to anybody again. All right, the Gene Hackman MVP award, person who carries the movie, director, actor, etc. I mean, I think it's easy to pick this one, but I do want to shout out two other people in it. I think the I think the easy winner is Sergio Leone. Yeah. For this movie, I think I think this is a pure. It's one of the best directed films of all time. It's a pure Sergio Leone film. But Eli Wallach is really damn good in this movie, and Clint Eastwood is too. But I kind of like Eli Wallach a little bit more because I was not I was not expecting that coming. Maybe because sure. I was so surprised because I was expecting it to be such a Clint Eastwood heavy movie. Yeah. But there's a but Eli Wallach is really damn good in this movie, and they're great together. Is the thing I didn't expect this to be a buddy movie. And it they work so well together, but the, and many times Eastwood's sort of playing the straight man to he is. to Wallach, yeah, yeah, he is. But Sergioni with this movie is like it's for someone who's again he's he hasn't made that many movies at this point in his career. Yeah, he's only made I mean he's made two spaghetti westerns and he's made the uh, um, the sort of the, Col- the, Colos- the Colossus of Rhodes, but. At that point, so this is his fourth movie. That's a hard. That's that's like that's kind of insane. Like to do, yeah, to do that. So, and yeah. I mean, just to be so, like his style is just so fully formed here. It's it's yeah. insane. Yeah, at the age of, I think he's like 30, 37, 38. Wow. I mean, it's it's a big movie. Okay, so yeah. he, he 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 tells a a massive or a, really a small story on a massive scale. Yeah. When you think about it, I was say a massive, but it's really a small story on a massive scale. It's just the backdrop is massive with the Civil War, and that's what's great is like it's so character focused, but he still does the world building with yes. the sweeping shots and all. Yes. That. Um. Now, can't I, this is a question? Can a composer be put up for this? Oh, award? 
I think a composer can be put for this. So in that case, I got to throw Morricone in the mix because this movie, without that score, I mean, obviously it's impossible to, to separate yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But without that score, I mean, I don't get me wrong. The, the, the cinematography, all that's amazing. But I just think the score elevates it to a whole other level. That's an interesting point. I mean, you could say because, like, he did the score for the other two as well. Yeah. And he did a score for so many spaghetti westerns that are not of this caliber. Yeah. But again, it would just, it would give it that extra push. It's like, oh. I mean, it's one of the most memorable scores of all time. Like I yeah. said before, it's, 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 it's permeated the pop culture in a way that very few scores have. Yeah. It's like, when you think about scores, it's like, Star I'm, Wars. I'm not speaking. I mean, I'm not speaking of what's best or great. Yeah. I'm just thinking about what's pop culture wise. It's like, it's so many John Williams scores. If it's if it's Star Wars or E.T. or Jurassic Park or Indiana Jones or maybe you could say like Alvin Silvestri with with Back to the Future, mm. um, like and then you can maybe like throw in maybe Hans Zimmer with Pirates or Klaus Bladet, I believe who else did it with that with Pirates or even I mean, and then. Some of Nolan's movies, maybe. May, yeah, yeah, like maybe Dark Knight. Yeah. Maybe Dark Knight. And like maybe Requiem for a Dream. Oh, I yeah, think yeah, weirdly yeah. enough. Yeah, yeah. I think those kind of all like. Well, another song that's played at every sporting event. That, the, move, the song that song Requiem is played so much. That that was Alabama's theme yeah. song. For What's so funny to years. me is like, yeah, they play that at UK Games too. It's so yeah. funny to me. It's like if people in this audience knew the context of what the score is it's playing. So under, it's so funny to me. Yeah. I was like, you, have you guys seen this movie? Yeah. Like, don't be right. Like, it gets like, you. I, right? hope, I hope Aronofsky's getting residuals for this because. Oh, he better, man. Yeah. That could fund the rest of his life. Gosh, man. man who would have thought? Or whoever the, whoever the composer was for Requiem for a Dream. Like Clint, me. Uh, man. Men's, I don't remember his last name. Clint. Yeah. Men's still, yeah. But yeah, so, so like, yeah, but yeah. But I think this is one similar to those movies. I, th- I think this is one that just like, I think when people think of Westerns in a way, they will they will always think of that score as one of the top mm-hmm. things. It's either that or well, like. Well, they'll whistle it. They'll whistle the, yeah. the theme. Wah, yeah. wah, wah. Like that's, yeah. that's just, I think everyone. Knows that. It's a Western. Like that's yeah. the thing. Everyone thinks. And, then, and maybe it's like later because I know like, speaking of Back to the Future, they use stuff from. Uh, this trilogy in the third movie. Oh, yeah. Doesn't he have a poncho? He has yeah. a poncho, and I think he uses the, which is not in this movie, but he uses the um the uh, uh the shield or like the the oh, yeah. the oven thing or whatever yeah, yeah. um for a bulletproof vest or something. Um, and they're watching it in the second one, I believe. Um, and, he, and, he named, and his name is Clint Eastwood. He's his name's Clint Eastwood. Um. So that that's like it's and they that helped come with the cult with the pop yeah. culture as well. But yeah, I think so yeah, Morcone is an interesting pick. I still think it's so Giuliani though. I think just Yeah. <laughs> it's it's up uh, if okay, let's say this. How would you rank them? Out of the four we've said, how do you rank them in, of importance? L- Leone, Morricone, Wallach, Eastwood. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a t- which it's is somewhat a tough- su- which is somewhat surprising because Eastwood is probably the most known. Yeah. Uh, in terms of an actor from this movie, I mean, I'm not gonna say he's better than the other do- dollars movies, but I feel like yeah. he has more of a, a presence. Isn't the right word, but he, he he's more of the focus. I think. I think the, he's more yeah. of a scene stealer, yeah. And especially like for free dollars, I think yeah. he's more of a scene stealer. Stealer, but I think Eli Wallach's more of that in this movie. Sure. And as we said, his character feels the most fully fleshed out, which isn't necessarily like a critique of it. It's just mm-hmm. it, that's just kind of the the story of the, of the story. Movie. Of the movie. Yeah, yeah. I, but I think it works. But no, I I, I think Leone just because I think pure direction it's astonishing to see 
like how phenomenal this movie, how well, how well this is directed. Yeah, and how much it still holds up almost sixty years later. It's insane. Yeah, and and again, the score is also fantastic. Like, yeah, score is also fantastic because it is able to actually transcend from movie world into like pop culture. Like at the time of Billboard, like it's like people list is like maybe one of the best. I think it's probably one of the best soundtrack albums or scores of the 60s, probably. Oh, for sure. And it's one of the most recognizable ones of all time. And if I'm driving through the desert, I mean, best <laughs> believe that's what I'm putting on. That's that's David every weekend, guys. He's driving <laughs> the desert listening to, to Morricone scores. Morricone and the Eagles. And the, and it's, the it's, Eagles? It's the <laughs> desert driving for me. <laughs> I'm listening to Hotel California and go back over and over again. Um, so yeah, Leone for Gene Hatman MVP Award. Uh, congratulations, Sergio. Why don't we tell each other our half of the secret? Why don't we? You go first. No, I think it's better that um, you start. All right. The name of the cemetery is... Now it's your turn. Hmm. Her name on the grave is... Arch Stanton. Uh, uh, Arch Stanton? Are you sure? Yeah, sure, I'm sure. All right, final questions. Uh, if it was remade today, who would you cast in the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly remake? We're not doing it yet. We're not making a remake. I'm just saying hypothetical. Yeah, I would. Uh, right. What would you do? Um, okay, so I'll go with. I guess I'll go Angel Eyes, Tuco, and then okay. uh, Blondie. So Angel Eyes, I had Javier Bardem. Okay. Uh, and then Tuco, I had John Leguizamo. Is that how you say his last name? Leguizamo. Uh, Leguizamo. Yeah. John Leguizamo. Yeah. That's a fun one. I just feel like, like energy wise, and just being that like sleazy is probably the best word to describe it. But like the the sleazy bandit, I feel like he could pull it off. I don't disagree with that. Um, And then for Blondie, uh, mm -hmm. this is a bit of a cheat, uh, but I have uh, the man himself, Scott Eastwood, who who if you see Guy Ritchie's The Wrath of Man, he it's eerie. It's so eerie how similar he looks to, to to Young Glenn. It's 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 scary. I'm gonna throw out some more names here. I'm just yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I think I mentioned this off air last week. I have yeah. no idea who to put in this role because, like we yeah, said, yeah. this is like the definitive Eastwood I'll role. Throw, I'll throw out a name for that character, and that's John Bernthal. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, I would love to see him in that I mean, setting. And another weird one, and I don't know if people feel like this, but I know he, this is a guy who's played a, played a character or similar characters where he doesn't speak that much, and that's Gosling. But I yes. don't know if Gosling can play this specific role. Um, I've and, never seen Gosling in a Western either is sure. the thing. But that's another thing that's so interesting to me about this movie and all of Leone's movies, that uh, all of his spaghetti Westerns, or a lot of spaghetti Westerns in general, is everybody feels like they live in this world. Like, yeah, nobody's yeah. pretty. Yeah. You could, you could make a dirty of Gosling. I'm not yeah. I'm dirty of Gosling, but no, I, I get what you mean. Yeah. Um, I, I really like John Bernthal for some reason. This I think I think Bernthal could do it. So I think Bernthal um, also has the... Com- Comedy chops to play sure. to play with whoever's Tuco. Yeah. Did you um, have any uh, anybody in mind for Tuco? I'm gonna th- throw, throw in this person for Angel Eyes. 
because you said Wrath of Man, and that made me think of Guy Ritchie for a second, and made me think of The Gentleman. Gentleman's a really good cast. What a, what a, what a, what about Colin Farrell? Oh, wow, okay. Oh, it, What about Colin Farrell? I mean, we're in the Farrell sense, to be honest. I'm all I in. love Colin Farrell. Yeah, I do too. But the, after doing The Penguin, he can do anything. I mean, Colin Farrell went from being like, uh, who Hollywood wants to make me a leading man, but I really just want to put on prosthetics and be whatever the hell yeah. I want to be type thing and can do great at it. I, I just, because he, I just wonder if he could play it, because he played the villains before. And he, again, he played Penguin. He was great as Penguin. But like, well, he was also what was it Bullseye and Bullseye and Daredevil? Daredevil probably one of the best parts of Daredevil. Um, but I, I mean, he's great in In Bruges too. Oh, but, he's amazing in Bruges, and they they just made a new movie. Um, hell, yeah. Ray Fiennes would be wouldn't be bad as Angel Eyes either. Um, oh wow, yeah. Um, See, I was trying to go with somebody Spanish or, or Latino. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. But but I mean, yeah, if we're Leaving Clues from New Jersey. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, well, who's the Jersey guy? Uh, well, also, because, yeah, I think, too, you're, it's, you're doing that because it's Italian yeah. and Spain, but also, yeah, yeah. like, it, it takes place in the Civil War. Sure. I don't know if Javier Bardem, I mean, he yeah. might be. He probably would be. Um, well, can he infiltrate, Essen, can he infiltrate the, the Union Army? I don't that's know, a good question. I don't know. Yeah, that's a hard sell. Um, uh, we're talking about the time period, guys. Um, I think Farrell's interesting. I'm trying to think, and that makes sense, who who would be Tuco, because... Yeah, Tuco is is his character is Ramirez, so he is he is Hispanic, he is Latino. Um so that would make sense. Yeah, not yeah, that would make sense to put him there. Um Liguizamo for Tuco. I like Farrell for Angel Eyes, and I like Bernthal for for Blond Blondie. I mean that's a cast. Do you do you get do you give John Bernthal blonde hair is the question? Or like dirty blonde hair? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, um, hard to hard to picture. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of another person that could do it. I'm trying to think of another person. No, I mean, I mean, bl- I mean te- technically, I mean, Gosling could fit the blonde hair sure, role. Sure. I think I, I think you're right. You're selling him as like the the uh, the man of few lines because I mean, you look at Drive. Um, look at Drive. Yeah. You look at Place Beyond the Pines. Like I think he's like my thing was just he's just looking past how good looking he is. That's the problem. I mean, dirty him up. Like, yeah. I think. I mean. I, I mean. I think. I think he could. I'm selling Gosling here for some reason, and I don't know. It's it's like it shouldn't be a hard sell because he's proven himself time and time again. I mean, he's kind of like he's kind of like dirty. I mean, he's kind of like I mean, he's always gonna look good looking, but like he's yeah. it's like you have him like stubble. Like I know he has kind of like a like a he, he looks kind of worn down, like half Nelson from like '05 or whatever. Like he yeah. can he can play or what's that movie where he's like dating a sex doll? Um, oh, Lars and the Real yeah. Girl. He's great in that movie. Yeah. He's great in that movie. Yeah, I think Gosling. I, I really want to go with Gosling on this. I'll so, buy it. so yeah. Gosling against Farrell and Liguizamo. Oh, who directs it though? Oh God, don't do it. I mean, is, is it is it is Tarantino? Your is that the pick you have to go with with something? Like I don't this? think. Well, I just don't think he would do is it. Is that number ten? Is that his tenth <laughs> one? I, I doubt it in a million. He years. He would never do it. Yeah. No one would ever do it. Um, you know, give it to Ryan Johnson. I want to see Ryan Johnson do a western. Ooh, that'd be interesting. I want to see Ryan Johnson do a western. Um, and and, and come at me, whoever. Is is still listening to this podcast? It's not a last Jedi fan. Um, He's just gonna make every fanboy and every fandom angry. Just ruin it. Yeah. The, was he just how the rest of his you? career? Yeah, he, he just does multiple franchises. Yeah, he has the film like film bro, film people are on his side, but then obviously he turns on them by doing good, bad, and the ugly <laughs> remake and remake <laughs> with Ryan Gosling and makes it where Angel Eyes takes it all and say and, and, oh, and, nice. and, and saves or whatever or yeah. kills Blondie off. You're like, how dare you? You ruined my child, my teenhood, or whatever. Um, 
I mean, we're saying this as like a joke of like, yeah, oh, we never remake this. But I mean, they remade. I mean, not saying Magnificent Seven is, is good, bad, ugly, but it, it was like a classic Western. And they yeah. remade that. Um, and they've been trying to remake The Wild Bunch. You know? Yeah, I think I think, I think Gos, Gosling, Farrell, Liquizamo. Yeah. Bam. That's the, that's the good, final trio. It's a good trio. trio. That's it's a good trio, trio right there. I'm down that trio. You and Hans Zimmer does a score. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> um... Uh, come at us, people. We want to hear your takes. You can tell us we're wrong. You can tell us we're not I, wrong. I am curious to hear if uh, like other alternate reach out like, to us on Twitter, yeah. Instagram, any kind. Um, all right. Next question. Uh, does this film fit with any other genres? It's, I mean, you a, could maybe buddy, com- buddy. Comedy almost? Yeah, I think you say yeah. a buddy one. Yeah. You could say the buddy. You could say it's a buried treasure movie yeah. in a way. Like it's not swashbuckler because that's a whole different thing, but it's a buried treasure. It is an adventure in a certain it's a, it's way. It's an adventure movie. So yeah. it's kind of an adventure buried treasure movie in a way. It's yeah. like we're going after this common goal of finding this treasure. Um, but I mean, it's so clearly like a spaghetti Western. It's hard to leave. Like a spaghetti Western, um, clearly a Western um, civil war movie, technically. Yeah. Could, period piece. Period piece. I mean, but I think civil historical, war. Historical. Historical. Civil war period. Because it is kind of a war film in a way. Yeah. With the kind of the, the, the bridge and everything. Yeah. But I think at the end of the day, it's still, it's a spirit question. But I, I was very surprised by how much of a buddy movie it was. I yeah. was not expecting that at all. Um, how does this film fit within the Western genre? Well, um, we talked about previously how the earlier Western genre was all about characters who are, black and white in terms of their moral code um but as the 60s came in with the revisionist western bosses gay western add this idea of moral ambiguity and that's very prominent in this movie it's like no one is really purely good even clint eastwood they're all somewhat shaded and 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 gray in some way of like where their where their uh morals lie but it it, it definitely kind of takes those genre tropes and that could be the violence of it too, and and twist them, either to satirize it in some way or to make a statement, but still fitting within that world of the western. Um, and it's top tier. It's 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 up there. It's, it's probably one of the greatest westerns, spaghetti or non spaghetti of all time. Is the is the thing because it, it ha- it's such a, a it's such a weird thing seeing it in the middle of the sixties, and then seeing everyone catch up like three years later. Yeah, because like we talked about with Wild Bunch, like True Grit with uh, with John Wayne comes out in '69, and Butch Cassidy I think is like '69 as well. So like the western's still very much there, but those are pushing it, and Wild Bunch is pushing it to a direction. But but the spaghetti westerns of this era are really like doing it before anyone else right. does it. So I think that's kind of what does it. But but in terms of ranking, it's up there as one of the one of the top. What would you say? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's like a top five movie for me of all time. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are we just doing all your top five favorite movies of all Pretty time? Pretty much. Like we've, we've hit like some of my favorite or all of my ones that I've talked about are yeah. my favorite movies. Yeah, and they get Cronenberg. Yeah, Cronenberg. Um. All right. Well, that is it on our episode of the Good, Bad, and the Ugly. Next week, I will have Hunter Barcroft joining me to talk about Jeremiah Johnson. He was very adamant. He went to talk about Jeremiah Johnson. He was like, "I know everything about this movie. I want to talk about. It. I've never seen it." So I've seen previously before and today. It's like some of these movies I've never seen before. So it's been an interesting month. It'll be continue to be an interesting month of me going through some of these westerns. Um, but that's all I have for you in this episode. If you're a fan of the show or a new listener, make sure you subscribe to the Nation Podcast so you can stay up to date on all of our new episodes. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, make sure you write us a review on whatever platform you listen to the show on your preferred uh, podcast platform. 
Um, these reviews kind of help us with gaining traction, gaining visibility, and we just like hearing what you guys think of the show. So five stars would be great. Um, and finally, don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all that jazz. David, thank you again for joining me. Thanks for having me, man. And thank you all for listening. Hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye. Bye.